Hello, and welcome to CAA Conversations. We're here today with John Ratner and Jen Proctor. Jen Proctor is a filmmaker and associate professor in journalism and screen studies at the University of Michigan Dearborn, where she teaches courses in video production, film media studies. Her pedagogical research focuses on strategies of inclusion in media production classrooms. John Ratner is a filmmaker and assistant professor in cinema and media arts program and the art department at Vanderbilt University. Uh, in addition to teaching the introductory and senior capstone film and video production courses, he currently teaches 16mm film production, documentary, and the cinematic essay. And today they're going to be talking about film and video. And without further ado, I'm going to hand the conversation over to these two. Great. Well, thank you. Yes. <laughs> and nice to John, it's nice to be talking to you. Yeah, you too. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I thought maybe one thing that I could share to start us off is that you and I both went through the same graduate program at the University of Iowa. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that through that training, some of our pedagogical approaches are, are fairly similar in some ways, although I think that there's probably ways in which we depart as well. But I, I, su I suspect that as we talk, we're going to have a lot of sort of overlap um, just because we have that shared background. Yes, definitely. Definitely. So maybe we can talk about that, um, yeah. <laughs> how, how some of our approaches might be uh, kind of similar and maybe where we diverge. So I don't, maybe I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Like what, how, can you kind of describe your approach to teaching film and video? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think uh, the, the most important thing that, that, that I believe in, 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 in teaching is having students be uh, theoretically minded as well as uh, you know, experience uh, in the practice of making film work. So I so I want them to know history and studies, um, and I, I try to include um, that stuff in the classroom as well as when we're we're making work. So I'm not necessarily interested in uh, being a, a, a technical school uh, or have technical classes. I mean, they'll learn those things, but but I, I really want them to be leaving their their the classroom, all of my classes, th seeing themselves as kind of artists, as as citizens. Um, and, and I think uh, that, that's like the, the most important thing, I think, in, my, in the classroom for me. And you teach in a relatively small program, is that right? Yeah, so I teach, it's, there's a, about, um, depending on the year, um, we'll maybe max with about 30 uh, majors. Um, it's really small. Our classes are about 12 students. Uh, so, so we, you know, yeah, we're very small and the, and the program, I, I think this maybe is different than your, your school, but at Vanderbilt, the cinema media arts program, you know, we, we are a theory and practice school. So, so all of the, the students in the major have to, not only are they learning, you know, some studies and history and theory in my classes, but, the, but they, they have to take classes completely dedicated to theory, um, and studies and history. Um, as well as taking my classes. So, so um, you know, a lot of schools um, explore this. And, and um, I think uh, the last, we're a very young school, very young program um, at Vanderbilt. So uh, young major. And um, I think uh, um, we're able to, to kind of achieve this um, idea of theory and practice. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's also something I'm very much committed to. And I think that's also partly just coming out of the Iowa tradition. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm committed to it for a variety of reasons, um, which are you know very similar to what you describe. Is that my approach to teaching media production is you know partly about teaching media production skills, 
but it's also about uh, asking students to think about their larger contribution to the world, right? Um, to think about how to be critical media consumers, how they might be presenting their work to the world and how other media consumers are then consuming what they produce, um, to make them think critically and reflectively about the meanings that their choices convey, and then how that affects people in the world um, and how it makes them think about the world differently or how it makes them experience the world differently through the process of making work. So that's also really critical to my approach as well. Um, and our program is similar in that we have uh, a range of theory and studies classes and the production classes. And of course the challenge for me, and I'd be curious to hear more from you too, is always about in, you know, in the time constraints of a semester, how do I ensure that I'm teaching production skills and also making room for that theoretical context so that that's reinforced in their production classes and not just something that happens kind of separately in studies classes that they see as being different from what they're doing in production classes. Definitely, definitely. I mean, one thing that I, I mean, I try to do I mean, there's 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 lots of reading in my classes. There's lots of writing in the classes. Um, so so that's every week, depending on you know depending on the class. But like my nonfiction documentary class, every week there's um there's uh, readings and writing. So they like then they do kind of journal you know essay kind of writing, and then we the projects that I do in those classes interact with the the readings that they're doing, and so I think that's t so. For me, like that that idea that you know we we're constantly talking about this idea of in in the class we're constantly talking about this idea of how to understand yourself as 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 a student is like that you're part of history, and that like once you pick up a camera you know it can be it's kind of like a weapon, <laughs> you know this it's and it's this thing that that has a lot of power and and that you should be considering yourself like having a conversation with people um, that have made artwork in the past. And so, so that's part of the idea of the, the journal writing, part of the idea of the, the the reading, and then the idea of these projects of how do you kind of have a conversation with the reading that you're doing, um, with your work. So, I mean, that's one way I'm try I try to kind of integrate all of these things, uh, in the classroom. Is that similar? I mean, in yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and some classes, you know, I feel like I have more room to really push the kind of theory history side and get them in conversation with it than others. And those classes, I feel like, are the ones that students walk away with, like, new light bulbs going off um, and, like, really thinking about what they're doing in on a whole other level. But I do, you know, I do encounter, and I wonder what your thoughts are about this, too, some resistance to that kind of thing in production classes, right? I think there's kind of this the student expectation that in theory classes or history classes is where you're doing the reading and writing, and then production is where you're just like having fun and making stuff. And so there's, I feel like I have to sort of um, manage expectations kind of across the program. And again, being a small program, you know, I, I encounter the same students quite a bit, but there there's some managing of expectations of like, no, Production is also about, you know, some of these academic um, intellectual questions as well. But I don't know, like, I wonder how your um, your students respond to um, doing that kind of work in a production class. Yeah, I mean, I, it, you know, I guess it's been it was originally when I first started teaching, it, it was really hard. So that yeah, definitely like there was pushback. I think I've learned I don't think I've mastered this, but I've learned to like if I leave things very open and fluid <laughs> and that and and I do not 
uh, argue that there's only one way of doing things uh, and one way of thinking about things, then then it's it seems to flow a little bit better. A lot of my students, though, at Vanderbilt, they're more comfortable actually with the theoretical readings than than making the artwork. So that's interesting. That might be different than than your school, and I think it's different than some art class, art schools, and art programs. But um, so I, I I don't know if that makes sense. Like what I said before, but like but that idea, like so for example, like you know I don't in my sixteen millimeter class, you know I don't I don't push experimental. I don't push fiction on the students. You know I ask them to just kind of think, um, make whatever they can make, and think more generally. Um, and uh, I try to push this idea of anti genre. And that goes with the readings too. So I guess the less, um, the more loose I am, the the less di- I guess didactic. That it seems to like open it up a little bit, and and like less, I guess, um, resistance to to kind of making making kind of art, making chan- taking chances with their work. But but yeah, it, it definitely has been an issue. But yeah, I'm, I'm I don't know if that's if that's interesting to you or that if that you relate. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. And I think this idea of, you know, what students are more comfortable with, you know, are they more comfortable with sort of grappling with the theoretical ideas than getting their hands on the technology mm-hmm. is interesting because there's certainly a lot of students that also just shy away from the technology. You know, like they they see yeah. tech and they see, you know, menus and buttons and things. And um, for them, that's very, there's a lot of uncertainty about that. They don't have a lot of experience with it. Um, yeah. And so they'd rather just kind of stick with, you know, reading and writing. Um, so I think that's an interesting uh, balance to have to strike is um, dealing with it, it, where students' confidence levels are um, and how to bring bring all of them into the fold on both sides of the kind of practice and theory um, spectrum. Yeah, I don't know if this is different than in, in other art fields, but I know for, and like and you know this, Jen, but it's like when you when you're teaching in film at least when you're teaching like film or video, you know, a lot of times you're working in crews and groups. And it is interesting how like some people become more alpha and I, that has to be discussed as well in the classroom where like, you know, from day one in the intro level courses and then throughout their, their time, you know, in the different classes when they get more advanced, I'm like constantly reminding the students to, to like, everyone needs to, to kind of be a director. Everyone needs to edit. Everyone needs to kind of be shared. This has to be shared and you can't just do one thing. So I, I wonder if that's also something that Iowa's taught us. Um, you know, one reason why I chose University of Iowa as a grad student is because I wanted to be in a place that supported this idea of like filmmaker who's able to work in all different parts of the the medium. Um, and I and that's one thing I'm pushing on to my you know push onto my students or try to you know I guess in some ways enforce. <laughs> but it is interesting how some students kind of grab the camera and say I'm more technical, and some students say well I, I'm not technical at all, and it's it's yeah trying to fight this idea um, that you, know, that you should be able to do all of these things or at least ex- begin to explore it when you're a student. Yeah, and creating kind of a low stakes environment where students who are uncomfortable with these things can develop confidence, you know, and take risks. But yeah, like this idea, I think part of what drew me to Iowa as well was the idea of um, there was kind of a focus on personal filmmaking and kind of self-sufficient filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think so... Um, as you know, Ellen mentioned at the top of the podcast, um, one of my research focuses right now is on developing a set of best practices for inclusive teaching and media production, right? Where it's pretty well documented at this point how uh, the media industries, Hollywood in particular, is um, sorely lacking in diversity, both on screen and behind the scenes. And a lot of that translates also into the way we teach in our media production classes. 
Yeah. I, and one of those, you know, one of the concerns about inclusion is this idea of, you know, when students, some students become kind of, as you describe it, the more alpha or the more dominant students and students who are less comfortable with technology or who are, you know, the only member of their identity in the classroom, you know, if it's a, a black student in a, in a white dominated classroom or a woman in a um, yeah. male dominated classroom that can also create these power dynamics that exclude or, you know, kind of marginalize certain students. And so it's also like kind of constantly about balancing those power dynamics and providing supports for marginalized students to, you know, take some leadership roles and then getting the more alpha students um, to recognize how their behavior is affecting other people. So how do you do that? That's a really good question. <laughs> I, mean, um, I mean, I have my own ways and or, or things I, I try, <laughs> but experiment, but we, how do you do it? How do you interact with it? Yeah, I mean, and so shortly, um, you know, this coming August, there will be a, a whole website devoted to strategies for um, dealing with some of these That's kinds cool. of issues. But, you know, just like, one of the really simple ones that comes up from stu for students all the time is just little things like showing um, example work from a wide variety of filmmakers and featuring a wide variety of casts, you know, yes, so that, super um, so that you're, you're not just seeing sort of white male straight directors yeah. and, you know, straight white actors um, all the time, but you're actually seeing, you know, LGBTQ um, filmmakers and themes and um, people of color, um, you know, making work and, you know, representing on screen, which then models the students that this, there's opportunities for them yeah. um, if and they're part of that dominant group. Yeah. And I was going to say, like, present that stuff, at least what, you know, present, present all different types of work matter of factly. Right. Like it's not like, oh, this is a special day. <laughs> That's like, you know, right. like it just but this is this is uh, yeah, this is just this is part of part of uh, what we should be looking at and, and thinking about. But, yeah, not super important. Yeah. Just sort of, you know, providing visibility that there's lots of different ways of doing this stuff and lots of different people who are approaching it in you know, different ways. And um, and as you said, it's not you're not showing work because it's, you know, a person of color. You're showing work because there's some concept that you're illustrating and here's a film by a person of color that illustrates that in this really beautiful way so that it, it is inclusive, but still this question of, you know, power dynamics in the yeah. classroom, it can be, you know, a really tricky one. You know, some of the ways that you might go about approaching it include things, you know, like we've, we've kind of just talking, been talking about, but um, providing uh, making sure that you're providing plenty of opportunities for yeah. all students to do their own individual work. Yeah. Um, so that even if, you know, even if there is some group work or teamwork in the classroom, there's still sort of required opportunities for students to be learning the skills on their own and in low stakes ways, right? Where they feel comfortable yeah. asking questions or producing failure, you know, quote unquote yeah. failure um, that they can learn from, but that it's every all, student is like all of, Sorry to interrupt you, Sorry, no, sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was gonna say it's. I, I was just gonna throw them like it's. You know, it's all about play and about experimentation. Um, yeah, and taking chances. Uh, and and yeah, seeing it. This is an opportunity just to kind of explore. And and, and yeah, and mistakes are actually a really good thing. <laughs> there is there are no mistakes. Like, but it's about mistakes can open up opp new opportunities. Um, I mean, it's super important in these in these kind of like low stakes. Um, ways of, of beginning to kind of explore uh, creative expression. Totally. And I kind of, you know, I kind of hate that word failure 
because it's only a failure if it's something that you don't learn from, right? And every failure is something that you can learn from. Um, And then that's not a failure, right? So there's almost sort of no such thing as failure. But I think that's, you know, that's important to an inclusive classroom, but just to developing as a an, an artist and just as a citizen of the world is having a space where you can talk about like, here's what I tried to do and here's why it didn't work. And here's how I might do it again next time. Or here's why I know I'm never going to do that again. You know, it's like contextualizing failure is not something that is like this dead end, but is something that just opens up new possibilities. Yeah. Well, I had a question for you. I don't know if this is maybe a, a tough one, but I don't know, to be get to get completely raw, but like, I guess, <laughs> um, yeah. but you know, the one, I'm just curious about, so, so in the relationship of how you feel about power dynamics with your role as a teacher and, yeah. it, and it, you know, again, you know, I'm, I'm a white male, so it's different for me, but you know, I, I mean, I totally believe in when I first started teaching and I, and I still believe in this idea of, you know, um, breaking down those or questioning those power dynamics or at least being reflective and aware of it and making sure my students are aware that I'm reflecting on it. Um, you know, so obviously like I'll have like, uh, we're always in a circle, like we, um, students are constantly always in a role of critiquing them, critiquing and role of, I try to put them in roles of power. Um, but there, there's, um, uh, and and roles of opportunities for constant questioning me and questioning like what we're doing. Um, but I've found that at times that it's it, that students do not like that um, if when it's too open and free. And I don't know if it's because I'm not a good teacher, but <laughs> but, if that's something, but, but 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 I mean if um, but that's something that's that's been interesting, like to. Um, you know, like how to how to find the balance between making sure that we follow like general course goals, day to day goals, um, make sure that there's definitely there's learning involved. There's there's um, I, you have to have freedom for as we talked about of creative expression. There has to be room for like students to play and make work. And so there needs to be like time for that. And then there needs to be the time for like. Uh, being um, self-reflexive, you know, and in the classroom and like, what are our roles as students and what are our roles as, as teachers? And then what are our roles as, you know, citizens? Um, but I, I, there's sometimes things break down and, and, uh, and I, I just want, I want to go, I always want to go further. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, um, I mean, I, I've had students run my class, you know, I've asked them beforehand, you know, like I prep them, but like next week you're going to run the class and we're going to talk about your, you know, what do you, you get to choose what we're going to be dealing with? These are for the more advanced classes. And, and, um, you know, sometimes they work, but sometimes they, they've, they've backfired. So that was a long, uh, long, um, I guess statement, but, uh, um, to hopefully inspire you to, um, teach me. <laughs> <laughs> no. And, um, no, and I, I, um, I learn a lot from you and there's still some more topics I want to um, talk to you about for this podcast because I've learned so many great things from you. But no, but I think this question of, you know, the positionality of the instructor is critically important. I'm, you know, I'm a a straight, white, cis female. um, So I'm coming from, you know, a position of pretty extreme privilege. And I think it's important to acknowledge, you know, that you're kind of aware of your position in the classroom and interrogate that and then constantly be sort of making it an explicit part of conversation to think about your, to have the whole class think about your role as the instructor and their role as students and what that means, you know, and what the power dynamics mean and how you might go about changing those power dynamics so that, 
you're constantly sort of interrogating that relationship. But, you know, in my experience as well, like there's been ways in which I've tried to really reimagine the classroom and especially around grades, like really like I hate grades are a whole other topic. And I, I absolutely mm -hmm. despise um, sort of assessing grades to creative work. But I've, you know, tried to sort of rearrange the class so that students had more power over how they determined their own grade, sort of gave them a lot more flexibility to do certain kinds of projects and exercises to, you know, earn the grade that they wanted without it just being me sort of assessing it upon them. And that was actually intensely stressful for my students. Um, and students at U of M Dearborn um, are, they come, it's a, a hugely diverse campus, a, a tremendous number of students work. Some of them work full time outside of class. A lot of them are non-traditional students that have families. Um, so this idea of like introducing just a different way of having to think about their class and to think about how they earn grades um, just was a, hugely stressful for them. And would kind of, as you mentioned, I think um, count as something that kind of backfired a little bit. Um, so as much as I, I want to disrupt, you know, that traditional approach to grades, um, I'm not sure that I can do that in the environment that I'm in unless everybody else on my campus was doing it as well, right? And so students could expect the same kind of thing from all of their classes. So it's it's tricky within this, you know, the structures of this educational system. Yeah, yeah. No, I do something similar. I mean, I've or I've experimented with it, but almost all my classes now they. I mean, it's it's different, but I do ask them all to grade each other. Um, uh, but you know, in writing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and like and there's constant critique. But yeah, the the, the letter grades or yeah, that's always um, it can be a bit frustrating. I'm, I've had students where, you know, when they'll they they'll come in you know hand in things late and that's usually when when they hand in things late i'll ask them you know before i grade this like i need you to grade it yourself like come back and i need you to write a statement and grade it yourself and and talk about like what you or when students have argued with me you know i'll have them kind of do that but i have not gone full-fledged like you yeah the whole, the whole they, they grade their whole uh, their whole semester I mean, I, I should say, like, I don't know if it's interesting for other if there if there the other people that are listening to the, this podcast. And I don't know if you think about this, Jen. If this makes sense, what I'm about to say, but if like why I think power dynamics and in 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 film classrooms is, is is very important because it's it's essentially and directly connected to the dynamics of like filmmaking. <laughs> so so like because you have this object as an artist that yeah that that you're a or camera or photographer but you have this object that you're pointing and you're directing and then you're editing it and you're controlling reality so you yeah. become in this role of power and i think so i don't know if other art teachers interact with this as much but i think i think a lot of film faculty and video art faculty and, and photographers do have these kind of discussions in the classroom like how to interact with power um in the classroom but also with with the materials you're using um okay. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, a lot of um, students come into film classrooms with this sort of, even if it's, it's not something that they're even aware of, this idea of the auteur, right? The director is yeah. this sort of all-powerful being. Um, and there's, I think, a misunderstanding about the intense collaboration that happens in the filmmaking process that is only partly about the director, but, you know, is absolutely about all of these other creative forces on, on a crew. So that's also like the, I think a power dynamic that we have to, you know, demystify 
um, when students come into the classroom, that it's not, you know, it's not just all about this director who's like, you know, tyrannically giving orders, um, but instead is about like true collaboration um, towards, you know, kind of a common vision, but a vision that is sort of, you know, summoned up by all of these different ideas coming together. Definitely, definitely. So I wanted to, like, I don't want to totally change the subject, but I had, um, I had a question for you that does kind of change the subject, yeah. <laughs> um, which is, um, I know that you do uh, an assignment, one of your classes that you've mentioned is one of your favorite assignments that I think is really great. And I think is also a really great example of um, giving students both um, individual work that they have to do that helps them learn skills, but then it's also collaborative in its own way. So yeah. I wonder if you could just kind of share the assignment that you do. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I go, one of my favorite assignments is uh, I, I call it the Exquisite Corpse. I mean, it's 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 I guess inspired by the Exquisite Corpse um, parlor game by the Surrealists, and I, it's the first assignment I give to all my intro students. So all of the intro level students at, at Vanderbilt have to take intro film students have to take this do this project. It's the first project I give to them the first week of class, and and this project. I, is they 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 have a week to do this, and I basically they this I just taught them how to use um, their cameras and, and use the manual controls, and I ask all the students um, to to go instead of writing um, using writing in the exquisite corpse like these like the surrealists did or drawing, um, all the students are are asked to shoot um, capture you know ten sixty second videos. Um, without moving, like once they choose their composition, they're not allowed to kind of pan or zoom. Um, and it's all a pan held. And um, the idea is that they're like learning composition. And they're also, I'm asking them while they're waiting for, it's very connected to my practice as a filmmaker, but I want them to have these like long durational shots that are handheld. And it allows the, the filmmaker to start to think about composition and color. And, and then I ask them to, the next week bring in this footage and then they they are to connect their you know one minute movies um with uh, someone else in the classes and they're com they combine them into making a project and and the the um while they're doing that i'm teaching them how to edit so i'm teaching them like the basics in premiere editing um so the idea is like it's really low stakes um it, it allows them to to not worry about end results it's just about process they're just learning editing tools, but also it sneaks in this idea of uh, thinking about you know filmmaking in, in maybe um, alternate ways than maybe they're accustomed to. So you know I never say this is an experimental film project, but these works very <laughs> much look like experimental films, and that and that again is relates to kind of what I was saying before about I want them not to, to I don't want to force students to be like this is you have to make experimental film in this class or you have to make documentary. Um, even in my documentary class, I don't push nonfiction film, you know, like I, I kind of want them to think open and allows them to kind of then um, feel more comfortable, like working in like alternate forms. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited by that project. And, and, and my students over the years, now that, you know, it's been taught so many times, it's now like a, a rite of passage in the, in the program. Like every student has an exquisite corpse. Yeah, and I think that's huge. You know, I think that's a really cool way of creating like a sense of community. And I think the idea that they have to incorporate someone else's work, you know, into their own also kind of builds relationships and gets them thinking about like how other people have approached 
the same project. Yeah. And I think that's a really cool, um, you know, learning tool. Um, saying about, okay, so here's, here's what the project was. Here's how I approached it. But then, whoa, like this person approached it in this completely different way that I'd never thought of. And so now maybe I can think about that, you know, for my next project. Yeah. Um, so I love that. Well, how do you teach like more lyrical or poetic works? So I'm a little bit similar, which um, has a lot to do with the student body I teach, who um, it's also like maybe not, you know, experimental work isn't um, kind of what they're there to do. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of them there are very much there for like to get a job, you know, for like vocational skills. So I, I, I often like will kind of, you know, yeah, sneak more lyrical stuff into the assignments they do. And so one of my favorite assignments, which I think is kind of similar to what you've described, I teach in my audio production class. And I call this a soundscape assignment. It's really kind of they're, they're creating a, a work of sound art. And this is something that I've kind of I've cobbled together from other instructors that I've worked with or had as my own instructors. It's kind of this hybrid assignment that I've gathered from other people. But um, the way it works is um, all the students, each student has to go out on their own and record a set of sounds. And those sounds are based on a set of um, kind of esoteric categories. Um, so it might be, you know, it might be something kind of simple like a sound made by the human voice. But then another category might be, you know, a sound that makes you think of the color purple. And they can interpret that however they want. Yeah. So this like the set of sounds that are all pretty short. They come back. Everybody uploads their sounds to one giant database. So we have this like huge database of whatever, 100 sounds produced by the whole class. And then the second step of the project is for them to use only those sounds um, and in their audio workstation to produce a, a soundscape that conveys a certain emotion that is assigned to them. So it might be, you know, create a soundscape out of these sounds that conveys anger or that conveys joy. Um, and part of the goal is to, you know, to get them practicing their recording skills. It's to get them using um, effects and processing in their audio workstation. So I use this as an introduction to the various effects so mm -hmm. they can start to understand how they can manipulate sound. But then it's really about getting them to think about um, like Michelle Shion's idea of reduced listening. So what is the emotional impact of a sound all by itself, not connected to any kind of source? Um, they have awesome. to really think about like the emotional impact of sound itself. And it becomes one of these like really cool experiences where again, they're all, you know, when they listen to one another's work and they can sort of recognize, oh, like I use that sound in my piece too, but I put it here and used it this way. Or they can see like how everyone else in the class interpreted the same sort of material that they had to work with. Yeah. Um, and so that's a blast. Are, are, are all the students assigned, are you, do you assign them the emotion? Do you like, is it one student gets joy or do they pick? I usually assign it and that's something like I'm always kind of tweaking the assignment. Um, and I think there's probably better emotions that I could assign. Um, but I usually assign it, um, because if they got to pick, they'd all pick the same thing. Yeah. Um, oh, that's awesome. That sounds great. Yeah. I love it. It's, um, I mean, the stuff they come up with is amazing. Yeah. And it's, again, it's the same way of like thinking really about, not about like technical skill it's, but you're learning these, the technical skills. Um, it is thinking about things conceptually and um, broadly. It's kind of, it's yeah, that's, that sounds like a great project. 
Yeah. And and actually, like, that is one where I'm able to sort of work in a little bit of theory as well. Like, they do read some Michel Chion and think about um, different ways of listening and the way that sounds are connected to the source objects. And um, so it's kind of like one of those, you know, pretty successful assignments um, in that way. That sounds good. Well, I'm curious. One other question. I mean, I, I think we maybe are over our time. I guess this, this maybe goes back, but I, I was just curious, are there are there projects that you, are there kind of films that you ban or <laughs> or like how do you sway? I mean, there's one thing I've, I've been doing the last couple of years where I like ban movies of, you know, where there's violence against women. Yeah. Um, but I, and I've, at times I've thought like, I mean, I've, maybe I shouldn't be banning things. And so this relates to me to power. So I don't know if this is a, this is maybe an extra question, but um this is like for uh, um, side B or something of the podcast, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So I'm I'm curious. Are there projects that you ban, or are there like ways where do you have students that do make works that are? Because that that was an issue when I first started teaching. Yeah, you know? um, yeah. No, and I think that's an interesting question about um, power again. Where like if you just kind of as the instructor say you're not allowed to do this. Um, yeah, exactly that is really interpreted by students as, you know, censorship and as this often like inappropriate exercise of power. So it's been a while since I've taught a class where that kind of content would be an issue, but I'm about to. And so my, I mean, my philosophy on that has been less about banning stuff, but more about one kind of really talking about the idea of cliche Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of like violence against women and student work comes from the idea of just cliches and sort of uncritical replication of, um, you know, bad tropes, but also like, I'm really in favor of focus and constraints that aren't about banning, but are about, um, putting parameters on a project so that students have to creatively problem solve through those parameters. So for instance, um, you know, if I were like, if I were going to have students make like a three minute narrative rather mm-hmm. than saying like, God, and make a three minute narrative, but just no violence against women. Um, I, I think I'd probably do something where it's like, okay, you have to make a three minute narrative, but it has to focus on a character's, you know, love of spaghetti or whatever. Um, and so then they still have a lot of freedom, I think, in what they can do, but it gives them like just enough of a focus that they have to creatively problem solve mm-hmm. focus. And because I think if you if we open it up too much to students, rather than inspiring imagination, I think it inspires shortcuts. Right. Okay. Um, so that students like, especially when they're crunched for time and they've got all these other classes to deal with, it's like, okay, I'm just gonna make something that I've seen before, rather than, okay, now I have to figure out something original that de- deals with spaghetti, right, in some way. Yeah. Um, Sorry, this is a tangential maybe from that, but like, what about the more advanced students? Do you, do they have open projects? Do you have like a senior thesis class or a seminar? Yeah. Well, we will be. And I think probably in that class, um, hopefully the idea of um, why these kinds of constraints and why these issues of, you know, violence or whatever, stereotypes, hopefully it's been established by them that they understand why those things are problematic. And mm-hmm. so by the time they get into the advanced class, it's more about, they're providing really thoughtful justification and context for the mm-hmm. choices that they make. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there is going to be some violence against women, it's there for this like motivated reason that is asking us, you know, to think about 
violence against women or whatever, rather than it just being there for like entertainment value or a thrill shot or something like that. Yeah. Um, that's, that's my hope. I don't know. Like, I don't, how, how have you seen it play out in your classes? Well, I mean, the last, I think it was last year, I, I, I think it was last, my last year, my, my intro level course, I did not like ban anything. I, you know, um, and I, and early on a student made a project that was, um, uh, upsetting to me at least. Um, and, and so, but, so I have, I have lots of one-on-one conversations with students and I had a one-on-one conversation and I just pointed out certain things. Um, and the student was, that seemed to, the student was, um, didn't even realize. And then we talked about, I mean, I'm, I worry about the word cliche because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. then I, and then I worry about how to teach cliche. Like that's like how, you know, how to not, you know, I mean, how to, how to have that conversation. Uh, but, um, but, but, but I can do it one-on-one and it, and that's, um, I guess that, that's how I've been going in that direction. Um, but, uh, but it is an issue, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if it's an issue for other, in the other arts, but in filmmaking, it's like, it feels like it's like at times the, the, the lowest, um, art form, you know, <laughs> like, uh, and that, in that entertainment, um, you know, and um, mimicking what we've already seen is perfectly okay. And like, not to say that you shouldn't make things that are entertaining or we should make, you know, I want some of my students who want to make that work, they can go for it and do that work. But sometimes, you know, I do want them also to think outside the box a little bit. And then, you know, but that idea that yeah, your work should not always look like a Spielberg film or a Hitchcock film. Yeah. So, and then of course related to the subject matter. So I, um, I, it is a struggle like to, 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 to both have them feel yeah, at least for the the advanced classes, I think at times. But anyways, yes, yeah, so that was tangential. But <laughs> no, it's a perfect ending spot. Thank you so much for this conversation. It's been so interesting, and you've given both a lot of big ideas to consider, as well as some fantastic concrete things that uh, professors can take away and apply in their classes. So thank you both. Yeah, thank you. So thank much you. For having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us.